economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Peter Jacobson, the Gordney Professor of Economic Education and Research. Joining us today, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics here at Ottawa University. We also have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics, who's going to introduce our guest today. And today as a guest, we have again, uh, Dr. Levi Russell. And Dr. Levi Russell is actually a founding member of the Faith and Economics podcast. That's, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. So if you go all the way back to episode one, you'll uh, hear Dr. Levi yeah. Russell. Yeah. Levi and I chomp it away. Yeah. That's right. And, uh, Dr. Russell teaches economics at the University of Kansas, and he is also the founder of the Leonine Institute for Catholic Social Teaching. And uh, Levi is an expert in many things, but among the things he's an expert in <laughs> is energy policy and um some of the uh, aspects of energy generation and uh, consumption that aren't usually focused on. So Levi's yeah. going to talk to us a little bit today about uh, what's going on with the environmental impact of yeah. so-called renewable energy. Yeah, so there's a lot of things. And you know, I would say my, my status at this point is, I, I would say, economic journalism. So I think... <laughs> I unfortunately have to call myself a journalist, I guess, but it came uh, out a notch there. On yeah. One, right. But, yeah. With the state of journalism I, in the United yeah. States. But. I do have, I do have a lot of op-eds on energy econ stuff that you could find if you look for me, but um, yeah. So I think the environmental aspect is um, incredibly interesting and whether you're talking about something like uh, the sort of installed uh, energy generation, like uh, wind and solar or if you're talking about the use of these things, um, like electric vehicles, uh, there's a lot of things to talk about in terms of environmental impacts um, across the board. And so I, I if you want to start off talking about one of those, what do you think, Justin? Um, yeah, I think it might be useful to remind people like how we got where we're at with uh, sure. with the energy debate that's going on right now yeah and I, if you go all the way back to like the 90s which is the first thing i remember i remember being in sixth grade and learning the re recycle wrap um, and how recycling <laughs> was so important and recycling was what we were going to do to save the planet right mm -hmm. um, and since that time a bunch of articles have come out and anytime anyone takes a sober look at what's going on in recycling the <laughs> conclusion is always this is an enormous waste um yeah yep. The only thing that makes sense really to recycle is aluminum and you don't have to pay anybody to do it. Um, and uh, all these other programs, people kept saying, well, e eventually recycling will be more efficient. So it's good to get these programs in place now so that later when recycling <laughs> becomes efficient, everybody will already be doing it. Um, and here we are like 30 years later yeah. and it turns out it's still inefficient and it's actually that. gotten more inefficient because sorting trash is a really labor intensive process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that that kind of story about recycling is something that we could probably tell for the environmental movement writ large, that yeah. a lot of the policies that they put in place have, uh, first of all, the thing they're trying to avoid, like with recycling, it was, we are running out of landfill space and we weren't, right? Uh, <laughs> so it's like this, weird overestimation of doom yes <laughs> um 
with this huge optimism about what we're actually going to be able to do in the future. And yep. I think those yep. two um, those two features show up in almost all of um, what we could call like contemporary environmentalism. Yeah. So I think that that's not just present in recycling, but it's also present in, um, you know, if we're talking about like renewables, like wind or solar or something like that. So uh, the thing about recycling that gets me is that it's wasteful. Like the point of recycling was to reuse, recycle, yeah. reduce, to reuse, conserve, recycle, right? right? It yeah, was yeah. supposed to be conservation. Conservation, and it yeah. fails at its own goal, right? right? So it fails by its own standards. Yes, and um, it seems like things like wind and solar. I would argue too fail by the by their own standards, and it's yeah. only when these standards kind of get switched halfway through that yeah. you can make a case that they succeed. So the point of wind and solar was to have cheap electricity or cheap power that's renewable that would allow us to save the environment. But the save the environment goal gets changed into minimize CO2, CO2 parts per million. And then we say, well, in order to minimize CO2 parts per million, what we're actually going to do is cover the landscape with photovoltaic uh, panels <laughs> and put windmills everywhere, yeah. uh, which yep. arguably destroys or is a uh, black mark on the environment that we're trying to save in the first place. Right. And I know you have some experience about dealing with this yeah. at the local level. So yeah. So uh, one of the great uh, great examples that I saw in uh, in a local planning board meeting here. Um, is uh, there was a gal that came from, I believe it's Marshall County in Kansas. And she brought large chunks. And I mean, something like the size of a sheet of paper of fiberglass from a field. Um, and the story is that her neighbor, uh, several thousand feet away, had had um, one of these companies put up a, a wind turbine. And they're made out of wood and, and fiberglass, uh, the, the the actual blades of the turbine. And what happened um, is one of them broke for whatever reason, whether it was lightning strike um, or whether it was just it got brittle from freezing or something, but it broke mm -hmm. and it was still spinning. And so it was casting. And, and you got to understand, like when you see these turbines, they look like they're going slow. But the tip of that blade is going 250 miles an hour. <laughs> and that's why they that kill large birds. That's why they kill raptors yeah. so much, uh, like eagles and stuff. It's not, you know, they're not killing barn swallows, right? <laughs> they're killing massive, you know, highly protected birds. But anyway, um, so what happens is this thing breaks as it's spinning and it just casts fiberglass thousands of feet away. And so <clears throat> what happened is that you know, some of it gets into a pasture where the neighbor is grazing cattle. And the company who installed the turbine said that we have cleaned it up. And yet they went out and picked up pounds of fiberglass and these huge chunks that were just stuck in the grass all over the place. And they put flags up to kind of show, um, you know, where they found it. Mm. The thing is, that land is just totally corrupted is that it's as if i took five thousand gallons of oil and just dumped it all over the ground because it is just unusable for anything that, that benefits humanity at this point right other than just looking at it 
because you can't you can't put any animals on it. The wildlife is harmed because they're going to ingest right any any kind of animal is going to ingest this stuff. It's going to tear their system up. Um, and so you know, okay, well, so now one of the results is we have a conservation problem, right? So this used to be thought of as an environmental issue, conservation, right? Environmental conservation, kind of tied in with like you're talking about recycling. Um, you know, this is something that people used to get behind, like hunters, right? Hunters and fishermen are, are big, big on conservation because they want to be able to enjoy the land. And then you get someone who's never been to a pasture in their entire life, right? <laughs> putting up this turban in Washington, D.C. Right. And then it just destroys the land effectively for anything other than looking at it. Well, you can't even look at it because there's a there's a 400 foot tall turban there, you know, or 800 foot tall turban, whatever it is. Um, that's already destroyed your view. But uh, and so, so what do you do now? I mean, what do you do about that? Um, you have examples of, for instance, in Nebraska, there's a couple of examples of these massive solar uh, arrays, and then the hail comes through, right? Because, you know, those of us who live in the Midwest know what hail is, right? It's just ice out of the sky, and it just <laughs> obliterates these things. Well, it turns out that solar, solar arrays are not made out of, you know, puppies and sunshine. Um, <laughs> they're made out of horrible chemicals that yeah. when broken and, you know, with hail comes rain, they get washed out into the ground. Mm. And when you mention this to proponents of these things, they just have nothing to say because they they see the the, the distinction between, like you said, sort of a broader view of, of environmentalism um, or environmental protection and this sort of laser-like focus on what I think really is just uh, a sort of lobbying interest. I mean, I, at the end of the day, that's really what's going on here. Is yeah. The reason why nuclear, yeah, they, they found something to talk about, a talking point for their their sort of, uh, uh, you know, their, their own justification for subsidies and whatnot. It, it's the perfect justification, right? Because if it's a global externality, which is yeah. like climate change is a global externality. And as we pointed out on a previous podcast, we did listeners on energy with Levi, which you should also listen to. Uh, it's not only global externality, but everything that humans do use energy. You move, you eat, you're using energy. Mm -hmm. You produce something, you use energy. You turn on the light in your house, you use every action you take as energy. And so if energy creates CO2, a global externality, uh, and the way to fix externalities is to regulate them, oh, then we now get to regulate everything you do, right? Because yeah. everything you do causes the externality. And there is, and we, we talked about this just uh, kind of informally here, but we've mentioned it before on the podcast, I think there's a, a bootleggers and Baptists story here where you've got a the lobbyists and so you've got the people who make a lot of money in these alternative energy industries. Uh, you know, look at Tesla, a company that wouldn't exist if not for government uh, subsidies over the last the first 10 years of the company it made zero profit apart from government subsidies. Uh, so there's huge lobbying industry. Now, I don't think I don't think Musk is actually the worst, uh, you know, uh, person in this group, I, I think it's a good representation but there's lots of companies uh, yeah. that do this. Uh, but from the Baptist side of things, uh, you have like this group of people who like this is a spiritual thing. Why don't they care about the glass in the field? Well, the glass in the field is a material thing, Justin, right? We don't actually care about the stuff hurting the grass. That's not the environment. The environment is more of a vibe. And the vibe of the environment is ruined by CO2, which goes up and it destroys the environment. We can't see that destruction, but it's a spiritual destruction that matters a lot more. And so I really do think like there's this very deep like... Uh, eschatology almost that yep. goes with climate change. It's very similar of like 
how capitalism, you know, uh, isolates the proletariat or whatever, right? There's like this spiritual warfare that we don't see. And I think that's at the center of a lot of these arguments. Yeah. No, that's, that's for sure. And, and, you know, you think about a lot of the, you know, this idea of renewables, right? So we, we, I think we touched on that before, but um, you know, the, you look at the the massive concrete footings that you have to put in, it turns out, right? If you put up a tower, a freestanding tower, that's like 400, 500 feet tall, you have to have put a lot of concrete in the ground at the bottom of that thing. Well, how do we make concrete? Well, essentially what we do is we burn tires <laughs> because you have to have, you have to generate a massive amount of heat to produce, you know, to, to mix these things together to make a concrete mix. And the only way to do it that we really can come up with now is burn something that has a ton of energy in it. Well, tires made out of oil. And so you just burn tires. I mean, you know, the, the, the joke of a tire fire, right? I mean, that's, but you, you can't just have an electric oven. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't have like the electric equivalent of that. It just doesn't work. You know, so many industrial processes like this just rely on tremendous amounts of energy and so-called renewables are one of them. It boggles my mind. I was driving through Minnesota coming back from Thanksgiving mm. and we drove through. So there's a bunch of windmills in Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota is huge. I, on it actually might have been Iowa. Too. Into Iowa. Yeah, in Iowa. Southern Minnesota. Yeah, I think no, we were in Iowa, actually, now that I think yeah, about it. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 Iowa does it all. Yeah. But uh, there was a small town in Iowa driving through and it had its big, like, welcome to blah, blah, blah sign. And their mascot on the side of the signs were windmills. No way. Fake yep. windmills, like the small ones. And it just boggles my mind that the like the mascot for environmentalism is this gigantic thing made out of metal that you put in a field like it used to be a tree like it was yeah tree huggers right (laughs) yeah yeah trees were the symbol of nature and now it's this metal thing that gets made that really does i mean you said this it chops up raptors and birds right they kill an enormous amount of birds when you have them in the ocean offshore they uh, piss off whales who yeah. end up beaching themselves. The, the, the infrasound, yeah. Yeah, but um, and people might say, well, like, who cares about a few birds? Damage to raptors, which is what we're talking about, eagles. Um, yeah. Damage to raptors' eggs was the official justification for banning DDT use because right. DDT use thinned the ra- the eggs of raptors. So it's very weird. Yeah. Um, it's it's not just that it is religious, which I think it is, but it's that like the stand there's no red line through, yeah, um, which is consistent through tense. Raptors do matter now; they don't matter, and why why not? Well, yeah, I don't know. The catechism changed, and we like, yeah, we just right. so so I think it, another thing about that um, about the raptors. So what what you'll see is people will they'll sort of conflate the issue. So they'll say, well, you know, look at how many birds cars kill. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, Jimbo <laughs> in his Honda Civic is killing a barn swallow of which there are trillions, mm. right? <laughs> He's not killing, you know, a 60 pound eagle, right? I mean, he would be dead too if he hit an eagle with his Honda Civic, <laughs> right? So at least sort of tit for tat, right? But but that's but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, bat populations, uh, you know, being massacred by these things, insect populations. I mean, yeah. So here we go again with conservation. We have an animal issue. Um, I, I show this article to my students uh, it was earlier this year, and it was Greta Thunberg, who's who used to be, I think, the face of the environmental kind of movement. And she's standing in front of uh, a, a government building in Oslo uh, in Norway. 
um, shutting down the government because they are threatening to put up wind turbines. And well, you would think, okay, well, why, you know, Greta's complaining about this. This is strange. Well, no, it's because it's going to harm habitat, you know, the infrasound issues. Yeah. Um, by the way, you know, these wind turbines have like 60 to 90 gallons of oil in them because, you know, it turns out when you have metal and it spins, mm -hmm. you know, you kind of have to have something some in lubrication. there. Right. Um, and so sometimes you think you hit by lightning and the oil just goes everywhere. Sometimes mm -hmm. they leak and they just leak oil, you know. Um, yeah, the maintenance issues. Well, I want to just mm -hmm. twist a little bit here that to say, that I think the there's some positive aspects to some of the environmental movement when people do it privately. So I, I think of like private solar panels on your roof of your home. Uh, I think I'm pretty much okay with if there wasn't any subsidies and granted there might be some subsidies, uh, but for the most part, people are choosing to buy an inefficient, expensive way of producing energy for themselves. They get kind of, I, I've, I've analyzed this and I, this is where I want Levi's comments, but what I've looked at for putting solar panels on, because I've had a couple different people say, oh, is this a good idea? And I'm like, no, it, by the time you spend $15,000, $20,000 of the upfront cost of doing it, the, and your your energy bill goes down, yes, but if you throw that into a financial calculator, it's a pretty terrible investment, as near as I've done. But my point is people don't care, right? They're like, I want to save the environment. I privately want to spend my money on solar panels for my house. And I kind of like that. I, I wish there was other ways we could kind of shift environmental concerns to the private in individual I think where the problems come in is where we're, you know, initiating large government programs and um, even somebody putting up a windmill on their own property that if they were sh uh, paying the freight for all of it up front without huge government subsidies, I think I'm okay with that. I don't know. What, yeah. What's your thoughts there? So I think, I think there's, well, there's kind of two methods with which people use solar on their rooftops, right? <laughs> there's one where it's sort of all localized to your house. And what you're required to do in that case uh, to make it sensible, because um, you what you're worried about there is you're worried about having power when the grid goes down. Mm -hmm. And normally that happens in the dark, right? Because it happens at nighttime, there's a storm, something like that. And so because the solar panels won't be working when there's clouds above you um, or in the dark, um, what you need is storage. So you have to basically take a room of your house and fill it with lithium batteries. <laughs> Right. And now, you know, tell me what a lithium mine looks like and tell me that that's environmentally friendly. So we got that right. Massive increase in the demand for lithium and, and thus lithium mining. Um, <clears throat> but the, so then the other version of it is, well, see, I'm saving money. So they would respond to you. They would say, well, Russ, you know, I had this upfront cost, but see, I'm selling power back to the grid. Mm -hmm. But here's the problem with that. And it runs into the same problem. One of the, some of the same problems with the turbines and, and the, the sort of commercial size solar arrays running to, um, which is, okay, so now we have to set up your house in such a way that it can go in the reverse direction with mm -hmm. the grid, right? Um, and now what we've done is we have exacerbated the intermittency problem because as we add these things to the grid, not only do we have to buy it from you in an inefficient manner, right? Because you're only generating a very small amount of energy. So installing the system that allows us to go both directions with that is very expensive, right? So that imposes a cost on the grid, right? So you're concerned about subsidies and stuff, imposing a cost on someone, right? Well, that's what this does. 
um, it just doesn't necessarily do it directly through the government through a subsidy, but in a, in a sort of different way. Um, and so you've got not only that, but you've got now we, we've increased the sort of intermittency of the grid. In other words, now the grid, um, you know, is you've got all this power that comes on between um, like noon and 4 p.m. And that's not peak usage time. Peak usage time is between 4 and 8 p.m. And so now the grid itself has to take all this extra power that's generated during non-peak hours, and it has to store that somehow or make other use of it until the 4 to 8 p.m. time when people actually use it. I, I guess I thought it was more of a market-driven. Let's just say that the outflow meter is bought by the household I just envision that they're dumping it at whatever the market rate is for that day. And obviously right. if they have a bunch of excess, then they're not getting very much per megawatt on what they're dumping during the non-peak times. Right. And then they just get a credit off their bill or something. And Right. Well, uh, I guess what I'm saying is like, if, if everybody did this, it would create that sort of problem. Okay. So like now when adoption's super low, then yeah, you know, you're getting this tiny return because again, like noon to four is not really a, a big time for us to use energy, especially from a sort of household consumer level. All right. Well, this looks like a good spot for a break, and we'll uh, continue on the discussion, exploring uh, where to go with energy problems. And I'm sure we'll have them solved by the end of the podcast. We'll be back in just a bit. Ottawa University has an exciting new major, PPE, which stands for Philosophy, Politics, and Economics. Each of these three fields is interesting in their own right, but they intersect in ways that are important to understand, both individually and for your community. If you find philosophy fascinating, but want to make sure that your study of the subject is practical, if you enjoy economic analysis, but want to see how economic laws interact with moral principles, if you are interested in politics, but want to explore how economic and ethical realities constrain our political choices, you should consider the PPE program at Ottawa University. The Gordon Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for free enterprise education and its contribution to human flourishing, faith and economics in action. We have some great high school student programs like PPE Fest. This is an event where students get to listen to some world-renowned speakers and then participate in competition geared around philosophy, politics, and economics. Our everyday economics program is just a half day on a Saturday, and we will have an integrated discussion about common sense economics. We have a college credit microeconomics course that runs every eight weeks. Your high school student can earn college credit for the special price of $200. If you know some students interested in programs like these, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. All right, so we're back and continuing the discussion. Justin, you had something for Levi, uh, uh, some questions that you uh, are just waiting to hear the answers to. Uh, well, no, I have a discussion about what I think the charges I've been making against the environmentalist movement, which is that it's hypocritical. In the sense that what I've been saying is that if you take a close look at programs like recycling or putting PV cells all over uh, the all over the hills, these this is actually detrimental to the environment. Now, once you point this out, it's not the case that environmentalists say, "Oh my God, you're right." Since this is deleterious to the environment, I'm going to stop recycling. <laughs> what they do instead is come up with a different justification. They, down, right? something um, else. they say, well, I just think I'm just gonna do it anyway. It's like it's good exercise to recycle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would be greater exercise if you took all dumped all the trash in your yard and sorted it again. Why don't you do that? Right. <laughs> um, 
Uh, and that point's not my own. I got that from somebody else. Yeah, right. But um, but the point is that the charge that I'm making is that it's hypocritical when you point out to them that the things they are saying they're valuing aren't the things that they actually are valuing. According to when you show them that their actions aren't aren't accomplishing this, um, I think that's a really it's a common charge in like what we would call like a liberal democratic state. And I want to say something about why I think it's an important charge and a, like a pretty serious one is that insofar as we live in a society that's supposedly liberal in the sense that um, we allow people to pursue their own projects, what we're supposed to recognize is not everybody's going to value the thing that we value. Um, and we're going to try to accommodate each other to the best that we can insofar as we're not harming each other. Yeah. But that means that um, since we're not all going to have to have the same values, like it's actually kind of costly to accommodate each other. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why we have to negotiate how to do this. And when you're saying that somebody's hypocritical, you're saying, wait, 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 wait. That thing that you said you were valuing and that you're making all of us uh, inconvenient, you're inconveniencing the rest of us um, in order for you to do, you're lying about that. You're not actually valuing the thing that you're valuing. So either tell me what it is that you're valuing, and then we can have an honest discussion about what we ought to do. Yeah. Or well, I thought shut I got up, it. right? Because <laughs> you're at this point, it seems like you're just inconveniencing me for the sake of inconveniencing me. Yeah. yeah. And that's honest, really, really terrible. Yeah. So that's the charge that I'm laying at the feet of this movement, right? That like what are your goals here? The ones that you're stating aren't being accomplished and you're not changing your trajectory when you point out that this trajectory doesn't lead to your stated outcome. Yeah, a little bit of a faith tie in here too to this point is like when you read the New Testament, like who do we see Jesus like very aggressive towards? Well, he's very aggressive and very mean and he flips the tables. And I mean mean, I don't mean, you know, Jesus wasn't always nice. He was mean sometimes, but righteously. It was towards the Pharisees. It was towards the hypocrites. That was always the charge which provoked wrath was the hypocrisy. And so I, I agree that like there is like a fundamental, almost like a fundamental check on whether or not someone should be taken seriously in their own belief system is whether or not they uphold it in their daily lives. And if the answer is no, that person has nothing to bring to the table. All they're doing is holding others to a standard by which they can condemn them. Which really, I, I think ultimately, like for a lot of these people, not all of them, but a lot of them, uh, the real uh, thing they value is control, right? Uh, that That's really what's going on. It's like, what then does environmentalism uh, of this form give you? Well, it gives you the ability to shake your finger at other people and tell them that they've done something horrible and wrong, right? Yeah. Uh, this does, uh, I, I do want to pivot here too a little bit towards uh, one of my concerns across the two podcasts. We've talked a little bit about nuclear and one of the things that Justin said in the previous Energy podcast was this idea of like the history of humanity and progress has been moving towards more and more dense like sources of energy and the, the densest of all uh, being like, you know, the, the atom, right? Like if we split the atom, we get all this energy from it. I'm a little wary of nuclear energy and I wanted to get Levi's take on this uh, and I'm wary for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first is I am suspicious of anything that I'm not sure would have existed absent warfare. Like that, that's number one. It's like, uh, can we trust, uh, and I don't mean like some sort of like original sin stain or something like that, but, uh, can we trust something that like markets didn't discover, but like government dis discovered for the, the purpose of like destroying other people. 
And that kind of leads into the more specific or the second question, which is that like my fear with nuclear is the Tyler Cowan challenge, which like I don't agree with, but it haunts me a little bit, which is that uh, once nuclear uh, energy becomes like a an aspect of common knowledge or like something that a lot of people know about, how long does it become until we have the ability of people to engage in nuclear terrorism? Like if it's the case that thousands of people in your society can learn how to build a nuclear weapon, uh, and there's a lot of nuclear engineers out there, like really how long is it until someone puts a nuclear bomb in a thermos, walks to the middle of Manhattan and detonates it? Uh, and so this is actually one of my fears with nuclear energy is that like it brings this other thing, like it lets a genie out of a bottle that like it's such a terrible genie that I wonder if it's even worth it. And like I'm almost like more of a fossil fuel shill than most people, because to me, it's like I'm not even sure we can advance to this like really clean nuclear energy solution because of this. I don't know what you think yeah. about this possible challenge, uh, if you thought about it at all, if not. So I I mean, man, that's that's an interesting component. It's like you're going to multiply the number of uh, nuclear engineers and so then, you know, you 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 broaden out the the knowledge of this thing. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I I agree that that's a risk and I and I think the whole uh I think the 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 shutdown and the the ensuing supply chain issues that we've had have ma has made me a lot more cognizant of sort of large scale risk mm -hmm. in, in general uh, you know but um me too yeah so I, I mean I I think that's interesting um but I think and I think maybe to your point about you know uh, hydrocarbon I I prefer to use the term hydrocarbons okay instead of fossil fuels just you know sure yeah uh, that makes sense you know, yeah you know, we're 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 concerned about what people are calling each other these days so I'm yeah. you know, I prefer that term. They're not but, all anyway. fossil fuels either. All the things that are called fossil fuels are not all from fossil fuels. Yes. Like, let's, let's it, it, But so, so like coal, for instance, right? I mean, one of the things about coal is some of the byproducts that we get from that, we use to make the stuff that's lining the walls in this room. Uh, we make we make sheetrock with it. Mm. Um, so <clears throat> I think that we, we have to have like a systems point of view. And I think that's kind of something that's that points to what you're saying. It's like, we have to include all these other pieces to the puzzle. And, and maybe this risk that you're talking about is part of that discussion, right? In the sense that, you know, coal is very convenient for a lot in a lot of ways. And we've got to the point where it doesn't really impact, you know, the sort of the air quality issue nearly to the extent that people, right. you know, think it does. Yeah. Um, and it has all these wonderful byproducts. And so, yeah, I agree. I, I think the other thing is, I think a mix makes sense. Now you don't you don't want to put into that mix things that are just arbitrarily expensive like turbines and solar PV, right? Yes. Uh, you don't want to add to the mix for the sake of a mix, but um, the idea of having nuclear and maybe nuclear needs to be thirty percent or forty percent instead of eight or whatever it is, um, but but I think having a portfolio makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And even even if we're just talking about electricity, because if we're talking about energy in general. You know, there really isn't, I mean, even if we have, even if nuclear is super cheap, transportation still is going to require liquid fuel. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And the idea of a portfolio, I think, is a good response because, like, ultimately, as an economist, my general viewpoint on this is, like, the efficient amount of anything is not zero, right? Like, this is a, a, a trite <laughs> saying in economics that, like, you know, you're going to, like, some amount of something probably makes sense. And I think that's true of nuclear. It's, like, even with that risk, I don't know what the percentage is. But I do know it's probably more than what is the government allows today. Right. There's got to be some efficient amount of like uh, nuclear energy that's involved in there. 
uh, as well as you know uh, our, our hydro. Uh, what, what are they? Hydrocarbons. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal hydrocarbons. Yeah, hydrocarbons. You know, in general, I those things don't bother me with the risk, and I, I might be selfish as a Christian this way that I'm like, ah, because of the end of the world, I'm gonna meet my maker sooner than <laughs> than later, and so like. I think we should pursue nuclear the dense oils. energy <laughs> nuclear, uh, you know, not not necessarily worry. I just yeah. those worries. It's same thing with AI, right? I mean, there's a similar argument here of, oh, we better slow down AI because it might ruin the world. I, I think everything's going to ruin the world eventually. It's I think, like I think the difference, though, is that like AI, we've seen AI ruin the world in like movies and like science fiction. And like we've seen nuclear bombs ruin people's world in like real life. And so like I think the chance that well, AI... Still not, it didn't destroy humanity, I guess, at that point. Well, not yet. It's only had eight years. Again, if a bomb goes off in manhattan then don't we adapt to try to reduce people yeah. bad actors from having i mean e the e prolification of knowledge of nuclear uh, to me we're just always yeah. adapting like i don't I agree be, why outlaw murder i don't want to just let i don't want to shun let people listen, adapt let, let, the let development me, of a new technology i don't want to yeah. shun the development of a new technology based on that type of i'm gonna i'm gonna steel man and straw man or the steel man and argue against the steel man russ your <laughs> argument here which russ is saying is like even if something like that happens, like it could be that the benefits outweigh the costs, right? And that, like, yeah, gasoline kills people too, right? And like air pollution kills people. It's rare. Uh, it, it happens much less than people expect, but it does. Yeah. And so like, what do we say in response to the fact that using energy of like, you know, certain forms kills people? It's like we say, that's really sad, uh, but we can't stop using all energy because that also will kill people. So maybe like Russ's comment uh, is like maybe nuclear energy brings us to such a great world that it outweighs like that possibility. I think that that's possible, but it is a pretty huge downside risk. It's what is what's unique about it. It's like yeah. if a nuclear bomb unique. went off in Manhattan, you lose, uh, you know, first off all the lives, which is the most important thing. Uh, you also lose like a lot of the world's infrastructure. Like um, uh, what would the world do tomorrow if there's no Manhattan, New York? Uh, it would take a really long time economically to recover from that. Even if there's aspects of like the New York Stock Exchange we don't like, the world runs off the New York Stock Exchange. So imagine the chaos from just that. So it's it's not just people, it's like tons of things. If I can jump in okay. to be a little bit more pro-nuclear than I have been. Um, <laughs> so Judith Curry is a is a is a very well-known uh, climate scientist from uh, Georgia Tech. Um, and she has a book uh, called Climate Uncertainty and Risk. And she talks about this idea uh, that you kind of alluded to there um, about like tail risk, mm -hmm. you know, like the 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 very low risk of a very very horrible thing happening mm -hmm. right and this is often used in the sort of co2 climate discussions yeah. to justify you know rapidly yeah. uh increasing the cost of electricity or whatever it is or keeping people from driving um and so the thing is she makes a great point that look that that heuristic or that rule of saying well we need to you know we have a low probability very horrible event kind of thing and we need to include that into our discussions you know that relies on a certain amount of of knowledge about the risk of that thing mm -hmm. so she she argues that that works for simple well-defined mm -hmm. high risk you know sort of yeah where, where risk is the primary thing not sort of nighty and uncertain yeah that's, that's good right and so yeah. like you just when you don't have information you can't act on it yeah, yeah. Can I give one pro-nuke thing, too, to, to Peter's concern about uh, nuclear weapons, which is that, uh, well, it's not the case that in a nuclear power plant, like, they're making nuclear weapons and then blowing them up, and that's how... No, you're right, you're right, yeah. yeah. The, I, I, don't, I have zero concern about a nuclear power plant, like, self-detonating or melting down or anything like that. That's not my concern at all. 
And it seems like the uh, information on how to make a nuclear weapon, like that cat is already out of the bag. That, that's yeah, that's possible bag. too. Yeah. yeah, it's like that. It, it's, but I guess it's, I guess to some extent you're giving more access to the fuels or something. Yeah, like, was, I mean, maybe there's some sure. nexus yeah. there. I don't know. That even the fuel used isn't the same grade that you use to make a nuclear weapon. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it seems like we're pretty good at dropping nuclear weapons on yeah. the Japanese, and, even and when I, we weren't using them to make electricity. And, and, to, and to better define something, like that Cowan challenge thing is not about nuclear power in general. It's about society development in general. So yeah. Cowan is not connecting its nuclear plants. And I think you're right, Justin, that maybe like the risk just exists absent the nuclear power plants. Yeah. Uh, and maybe the percent you exacerbate that chance just isn't very high. I, I would be surprised if it was zero but it maybe it's just not that high so uh schellenberger talks he at one point he goes like well people complain like the spent fuel rods have to be stored somewhere and couldn't somebody make a bomb and then detonate them at where the storage rods are uh are stored right mm -hmm. uh, the spent fuel rods are stored and they're pretty well guarded but his point is like couldn't you just take that bomb into manhattan and detonate it yeah there right like, yeah uh the so, um, good, yeah, yeah. I, I tend to think that that risk, though it is a risk, and I don't want to say that it's not, like the relative risk of it, I think, is a lot less than people think it is. So, I want to jump onto your hypocrisy comment from before, because I think it's really interesting to talk about sort of the, the arguments that you get, and but but more on the transportation side, which this is where my, my real passion is. I have, I, I drive two 30 year old vehicles that I just love. Um, almost as much as my children, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, so I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't want nuclear to get too popular because then it, it, it increases the probability that they're going to force me to buy an electric car and I'm not doing that, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, so it, it's interesting to talk about the transportation angle and, um, about a year and a half ago, I wrote a piece for real clear energy. And I said, look, you know, there's a threat to our freedom of movement. Mm. Right. And so yeah. now here's what I did is I stole a term from our friends on the left and they weren't too happy about that. And uh, the Daily That's Coast, funny. which I, I didn't know the Daily Coast was still a thing, um, but they wrote a hit piece on me, um, <laughs> you know, it, because I because I use the term freedom of movement and freedom of movement for them is about like crossing borders right. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, apparently it's OK to cross borders, but it's not OK for me to go to 7-Eleven. Right. Um, You're allowed to have a house here. Just you can't leave it. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. So, like. So over the last year and a half, I feel like I've been vindicated time and time again because the the mm -hmm. the discussions about the policy restrictions. And so again, this idea of the liberal society and privacy, right? We remember privacy from the abortion arguments <laughs> and you know our, our freedom of movement, right? Which is allegedly this important thing. Um, now this phrase is getting used more and more to discuss problems with these the the, the car issue. And so <clears throat> you, you have um you have people talking about smart chargers. So like charging the electric vehicle at your house and then sort of just controlling, you know, just turning down the amount of electricity you have. Uh, I read an article, uh, Germany is planning to do this next year. Um, they're whenever, if usage gets to the point where it's outstripping their ability to generate oh, with all this wind, down. they will just turn down the amount of power you can use in your house. And, and that's not a joke. It's, it's, it's legit. Mm -hmm. um, and I found a paper <laughs> That it's going to be published next month, but it's online ahead of time. And essentially what the author is saying is that, uh, and this is in the highlights of the paper, and I'll, I'll give you the link for the paper later if you want. But yeah. um, basically what the authors are saying is that, look, electric vehicles make people feel too good. And, and, and it 
Mm. It excuses their use of cars, which is bad in some like sort of pseudo religious sense to these people. And so what we need to do is we need to couple the expansion of electric vehicles, which is a total joke. They're falling flat on their face. The demand is just drying up. Is that right? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, partly, I think, because of you know interest rates and they're just so sure. expensive. Yeah. But but partly because they're just not that great um, from a you know from a use standpoint. And so um, it, it, so what she says is we've got to we've got to couple our efforts to expand electric vehicles with restrictions on driving. And it literally says that mm-hmm. in a journal article. And it's like, look, this is where we get these ideas. They start in academia and then they get into the policy world. And it's like, so what's happening is, you know, they're they're realizing that, okay, we can't mine, you know, whatever, 400 times as much lithium as we've ever had, right? We can't do that. We can't replace, a, there are over a billion cars on the planet right now. And if Africa and South Asia develop, we're going to have even more than that. And we can't put lithium batteries in all of them, right? Um and uh, by the way, you know, even electric cars drive on rubber tires or not rubber, excuse me, oil. <laughs> tires are made out of oil. Right. Uh, and so that's bad. And plus, they're heavier. You have, uh, you know, these cars are like as heavy as a Corolla, but they weigh as much as my F-250. Right. Because the batteries are so heavy. Yes. They beat up the roads a little bit more. They beat up the roads more. Well, what are the roads made out of? Well, uh, they're made out of petroleum distillates. Right. In the case of asphalt or if they're concrete, they're made out of tire fires, like I said before. So, again, it's this hypocrisy thing because it's like, okay, well, so freedom of movement, but but not really. Right. Only when we want you to have freedom of movement and privacy issues. Right. Like the charging issue. Well, you know, we need to know where you're going. you got to justify uh, in the UK. Um, you have yeah. to pay fifteen dollars to enter London. Um, they have these new low traffic neighborhoods where you're just not allowed to drive. Hmm. Can I pay a hundred dollars and never go? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think for free, they would just I, not let you go to London. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this is good. And, and it reminds me of like a, an ongoing issue with like the movement towards electrification It's like electrification always has like a, 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 the grid has a center, right. And it has a switch and you can flip the switch on yes. and off. Right. Uh, you yeah. like gasoline is very decentralized by its nature. There's yeah. no like gasoline switch. Yep. Uh, propane yep. is another great example. A lot of people who live in the rural areas, their houses run off propane. I did that for like a year last year. Uh, you hire a company to come out and fill it. Well, again, totally decent. There's no way for them to like walk out to your propane yeah. tank and like shut it off for you. You could just yeah. go and turn it back on. Unless they just ban gasoline or ban diesel. It, exactly. Like, so that which the, is a lot heavier lift. Yeah. Yeah. So so the the fear is that if we you're right, if we move into this like pure electric society direction, uh, we we gain that that a new downside risk of like someone at the switch who we don't want to yeah. switch, right? Which we don't have that risk right now because there's not a there's not a switch. My yeah, I, I like your argument with using kind of freedom of movement as opposed to control like to me it turns people turns me off even when people say well even if it's a friend that's saying well the government's just trying to control you i'm like are they but you know i'm maybe there are but (laughs) but the point is my my point is (laughs) to frame it to frame it as you're going to lose your freedom of movement yes that that's a different you know it's more of a sales spin maybe but but i think it's impactful to think uh yeah well yeah they can track you everywhere and then just not or shut down your energy or shut down this and And then they'll call you far right for complaining about yeah you're lacking freedom well well, and and the the (laughs) pandemic i think even though short run had a lot of like negatives to freedom i think had the long run like beneficial 
social impact of like we've seen where people are willing to go. And so pre-pandemic, if you had said they're going to shut your cars down because they declared a climate emergency, people would have been like, whoa, you're nuts. <laughs> but we just lived through a time where there was an emergency. And we know if they yeah. could have shut our cars down, they would have. Right? They would have said, yeah. uh, state of emergency, cars are going to be shut off Wednesday through Friday. Yep. You can go get your groceries on Monday between this hour and this hour. Cars are shut off right now. Right. That's like to believe New York City would have done that. That's not a stretch at all. No. Uh, in fact, that seems totally within the realm Close of reality. They did. Uh, yeah. So yeah. COVID was a terrible thing. But luckily, uh, hopefully, people had sustains learning about what the government would do in certain cir yeah. circumstances well to quote dean my four-year-old <laughs> i asked him he fell came tumbling out of a slide the other day hit his head and i said did you learn your lesson and he looked at me and said nope i, I haven't <laughs> learned a lesson in a really long time <laughs> a really long time <laughs> oh no yeah yeah well that's the pessimistic possibility it's possible <laughs> all right well this looks like a good place to wrap and then plus anybody's got any other final words all right levi pleasure to have you on once Thanks. again uh great to hear your insights and comments on a variety of issues so we appreciate thank having you on thank you all right well this has been a production of the gordon institute here at Alberta university like to thank you all for listening five star rating helps other people find us otherwise uh if you think somebody will like to listen to it why don't you just pass it along via your email or other social devices? Other than that, be fruitful, multiply. Thanks.